begin to tell you something is coming that is far beyond my control. Unless you set my people free. I am prepared to fight for eternity. Moses, you say that you didn't cause all this. You say that your God did. I am the God! I am the God! Moses, they are animals. I will drown them in the Nile, as you should have been. I don't think so. What is it? Ramesses, 4,000 men, 1,000 chariots. Ready yourself! You've honored me with your trust! If you stay, you will perish! Follow me! You will be free! Do not be afraid! God is with us! Wow, Hollywood does a nice job giving us some visuals for this amazing story that's probably not too far off from what they were experiencing back then. We come to the climax of the book of Exodus here, the, the epic story of the Red Sea crossing. It's really the epitome of the story of Exodus. It all really comes to a, a head right here. It's a familiar story. Uh, it's so important, though, throughout the Bible and the rest of the Old Testament, the Red Sea story is actually quoted 12 different times to both look back upon this as the watershed event in the history of the nation of Israel, and they also also look forward uh, toward what God will do in the future. So this story is kind of a hinge that helps us to look back uh, upon really what was for Israel their Independence Day. This was their July 4th. This was when they became a nation. And then it also helps us to look forward because like them, we too need to be reminded of the power of our omnipotent God put on display in this unbelievable story. And so let me invite you, because I, I'm pretty sure you're familiar with this story, let me invite you to personalize it today. Let me start with this question. Have you ever been caught between the devil and the deep Red Sea? What I mean by that question is, have you ever been caught in kind of like an impossible situation? Have you ever been in a situation where there is no win, where you're, there, there's a fork in the road, if you go this way, you lose, if you go that way, you lose, you just can't really figure out how to get through this situation? Have you ever been caught between the devil and the deep Red Sea? See, I know I have. Perhaps there's a time in your life where you remember like me, where it was a difficult season, it was a hard season, nothing was going right, and it was painful. We all go through times like that. What do we do then? How do we face impossible situations? This passage, I believe, provides for us some tremendous practical insights for that exact kind of situation. So please personalize it for yourself. What is the impossible situation that you're facing even right now? Uh, maybe it's a personal situation, maybe it's a relational situation, maybe it's a financial situation, maybe it's a physical health situation. Where in your life are you currently caught between the devil and the deep red sea? Read the passage today through that lens and invite the Spirit of God to prompt you and teach you from his word this morning. Now maybe you're here today and like life is good. 
And that's great. We rejoice with you. There are happy seasons. Uh, but please listen to this message today anyway, as you may need it tomorrow. Uh, or maybe you're here today and life is like manageable. It's going fairly decently and uh, you're not in a crisis at the moment. But please listen to this message because tomorrow life may become unmanageable. Or maybe you're here today and like this is you. You are right now caught in a situation, a fork, a trap, an impossible reality in your life and you are not sure which direction to go, and you don't know the way out, and you need God like to make a way where there is no way, you are caught right now between the devil and the deep red sea. If that's you, then this message is for you. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Let me just briefly review with you where we are. Remember, the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. They were serving Pharaoh. They were enslaved by Pharaoh. God called Moses to go down and, and give Pharaoh a command, let my people go, to which Pharaoh obstinately replied, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And so because his heart was hard, God began as the creator to pull apart his own creation all around Pharaoh on 10 different occasions with 10 different plagues, which all came to a head in our message last week as we saw the great Passover story where the angel of death actually took the life of every firstborn son throughout the land of Egypt unless you had applied the blood of the lamb on your doorposts. And then we learn in that story that the very firstborn son of Pharaoh, the heir to the throne of Egypt, passed away. At that point, we, we learn in our story in chapter 12 that Pharaoh had had enough. And he just looked at Moses and said, get out of here. Take your people and leave. We don't want any more of this trouble coming upon us in our land of Egypt. And so with that, the children of Israel took their families quickly and took some plunder with them, and they left slavery in Egypt. And that's where we pick up this story. Everything has been building, and today's kind of the capstone of that narrative. And I think you'll see three different movements as we walk throughout the story. First, you're going to see the trap, then you're going to see the deliverance, and then we're going to see the song. And so watch for those three movements as we go through the story today, the trap, the deliverance, and the song. But before we look at God's word, would you pray with me? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Spirit of the living God, I just pray for my friends here today. I know many of them are facing difficult circumstances and battles in their own hearts and lives. And Lord, I ask that you would take principles from this passage, your word, you've preserved it here, and may we learn uh, what you have for us today. May this become exceedingly relevant in our minds and hearts this morning because we are thinking about how you are at work right now in our lives today. Situations that we're facing where there seems to be no way we are right now caught between the devil and the deep red sea. So we ask God that you would show us how to respond in impossible situations like that as your children. And Lord, would you just bless our time in your word. Give us open hearts and open minds. For Christ's sake and his reputation, we pray. Amen. We pick it up with movement one. The trap, chapter 14, verse one, begins like this. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihahireth, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea. 
directly opposite from Baal Zephon. Really important verse, really special verse. There's a lot of truth packed into this verse, and it's probably not the first verse on your list that you would memorize as a word of comfort and uh, great encouragement when you're facing impossible situations, right? If your friend's having a hard time, you don't turn to Exodus 14.2 and say, look, they camp between Pahireth and uh, Migdal, right? This is probably not the verse that you turn to first, yet there is so much here. Now, upon leaving Israel, we would have expected them to head north. If you think about a map in your mind, the pathway up by the, by the west coast on the Mediterranean Sea would have been the, the quickest route to the promised land. They called it the, the Via Maris, the way of the sea. That's the obvious escape route that they should have taken from Egypt to Israel. Uh, there was a large coastal highway there, but they did not go that way. The reason they did not go that way is the Lord told them not to go that way. The Lord told them back in chapter 13, if you go that way, you're going to get at war with the Philistines, and you guys are not ready to fight war with the Philistines, so I want you to go the other way. But yet the problem with this other way is this other way leads them to this exact impossible situation that we're talking about here. They're going to maneuver around until they're absolutely trapped facing annihilation with their backs against the sea, and they're facing Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. So think about it. Here they are. They're following God's explicit commands for their lives. And now they're at this impossible place. So the first principle that we learn from this passage is just that. Following God, following God's will can and will lead you to some hard places. Following God's will will lead you to some hard places. I emphasize that because one time I heard somebody say, you know, Dave, the safest place to be in the whole world is in the will of God. Really? If that's true, can I just ask you a question? Are you reading this passage? Why is God sending his people into a trap? Didn't he know? Of course he knew. He made them get in this situation. He knew all the turmoil to come. This doesn't sound very safe, and I like safe. How many of you are with me there? Safe is good. But you know, Chronicles of Narnia says about Aslan the lion... When they start learning about the lion, they say, whoa, a lion, I'm not sure about a lion. Is he quite safe? And you remember what the beaver says, right? Safe? Who said anything about safe? He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. See, this is our God. He may lead us into hard places. Now, sometimes I get myself into hard places through my own dumb decision. How many of you can relate to that? You've got yourself in a hard place because of your own dumb decision. Let the record show that's most of us except those lying right now. And the speaker <laughs> has his hand raised really, really high. In fact, we were worshiping together, and John and worship team, thank you. They were singing that song, the second song, You Lead Me. And I was thinking a better way for me to sing this this morning would be, You Drag Me. You, you Drag Me. Right? How many of you, you know what I'm talking about? But here, that's not what's going on here. Here they're in this hard place because God sent them into this hard place. I want you to just get this because anytime you might be in a situation and your back's like up against the wall, you might think, oh, this is the devil. According to this passage, this was God who put them here. And sometimes we as Americans, we don't like this kind of thing. We're like, God wants me to be happy, right? God wants you to be holy. That may sometimes lead to you being happy, but not all the time. Or I think sometimes there's an assumption that if we're getting close to God and we're following his will, then, then it would be problem-free. No. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not of God. Just because it's hard to confront that difficult person at work doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to confront that difficult person at work. Just because 
Married folks, just because your marriage is hard doesn't mean God doesn't want you to stick your marriage out. Parents, just because your teenager is driving you crazy doesn't mean you give up on them. Teenagers, just because that class is hard doesn't mean God doesn't want you to take that class because it's hard. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not of God. Of course it's hard. You remember what Tom Hanks said in that movie, A League of Their Own. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everybody would do it. The hard is what makes it great. This is so key because sometimes God sends us to these hard places and it's not to punish us. It's like in these impossible situations that we are going to learn the most significant lessons of faith that we ever will learn. But look at what Counselor Ed Welch says. He says, um, well, you know what? I don't know if I have that quote. I'll, I'll go to that in just a second. So the point is, we, we have to go sometimes to hard places, and uh, sometimes that's where we, we see God's greatest hand. They would have missed the greatest miracle in the Bible if they didn't follow God to this hard place. All right, let me go on with the text. It's, it explains further, verse 3. Uh, the text says, Pharaoh will think, thought bubble above Pharaoh's head, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So Israel did all this. Now, from the standpoint of a military strategy, the detour God takes them on is sheer lunacy. They were hemmed in, the scripture says here, right? Surrounded by the desert with their backs against the sea. Or as it says in Return of the Jedi... Admiral Akbar famously said it, right? It's a trap! <laughs> Why would God put his people in that position? They're trapped. And the reason, friends, is that is exactly what God wanted Pharaoh to think. You see, that's what God has in mind. God is like a fisherman luring Pharaoh exactly where he wants Pharaoh to go. You want to mess with my children? You want to mess with my sons and daughters? Come over here. He's baiting Pharaoh, and he's the one actually setting the trap. The Israelites think they're trapped. Pharaoh thinks the Israelites trapped, but the story tells us in the sovereignty of God, it's God who's actually the one who sets the trap. Amen. Remember that scene in Jaws 2 at the end? And there's this shark, and then there's this electrical cable, and the guy's at the cable trying to get the shark to come and bite the cable so that the shark will be electrocuted on the cable. And so he's banging on this, this cable, and the shark's coming toward him, and open wide, and then, you know, just the jaws, there's the shark. That's, that's the kind of trap that God has right here for Pharaoh. Come on. The cable's right over here, Pharaoh. Open wide. See, God's the one who's actually setting this trap. Why? For his glory. And so that's the next principle that we have to learn from this story. When we're caught between the devil and the deep red sea, we need to learn to be more concerned about God's glory than your own relief. The word glory here in the text, verse 4, is the Hebrew word kavod. It has the idea of being heavy or weighty. And it's almost like God is saying, I'm going to show the whole world that I am a more weighty factor than Pharaoh. And that's exactly what God wants me to learn as well. Dave when are you going to learn that I'm a more weighty consideration than everything else in your life? So here's the question I have to ask myself when I'm caught between the devil and deep, the deep red sea. I'm not going to ask how quickly can I get out of this, which is my normal question. I'm going to ask how can God be glorified here? 
And that perspective shifts my heart and changes everything about that situation. The Israelites think they're trapped. Pharaoh thinks they're trapped. But the reality is it's God who's about to get glory by setting the trap. Here's my quote from Ed Welch, the Christian counselor. He says it like this. God prefers the impossible. His mighty acts are showcased best against the backdrop of insurmountable odds. And so, friends, I just want to say, if that's you right now, if you're right now with your back against the Red Sea and you're facing this kind of impossible situation, I want you to see here, this is a really common situation in the Bible. It's a common story in the Bible, and you're like in really good company. And so here they are. God sets a trap. Pharaoh takes the bait. Take a look at verse 5. It says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. That's a really nice, kind way of saying that we don't have slaves anymore, isn't it? Verse 6, so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And here we learn in this story, sadly, that Pharaoh never truly repented of his mistreatment of the people of God. It looked like for a moment that Pharaoh had a, a, a type of sorrow, but we learn in 2 Corinthians that there's two types of sorrow. There's a godly sorrow and a worldly sorrow, and Pharaoh's sorrow was a worldly sorrow. We see here his heart is as hard as it always has been. And verse 10 tells us, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified. Picture the scene, if you will. Here they are. This is the strongest army in the world. This is the best and the brightest. This is, Hollywood displays it so well, don't they? They're coming after them with all their mighty golden chariots and war horses and weaponry, and they're coming to kill them. This is a terrifying scene. Now, I know you know the end of the story. The Israelites did not know the end of this story at the time. Moses did not know the end of the story. The people of God did not know how this was going to work out. So I don't care that you know the ending of the story. I want you to put yourself in there and just think, what would I be thinking if this was me? Everybody was like, is this what's going to happen to us? This is how it's all going to end? Pharaoh's going to either kill us or re-enslave us? And we, the readers who maybe haven't heard this story before, are wondering at this point, is this game over? Is this how it ends? The, the, the people of Israel trapped at the sea? And verse 10 tells us appropriately, and that's when they cried out to the Lord. And they cried out, to the Lord. Ever been there? And the people cried out to the Lord. All of God's people have moments like this. On your face, desperate for God to intervene between the devil and the deep red sea. So we've seen the trap and that leads us to movement two, the deliverance. Friends, God didn't bring his people this far to abandon them. And the same is true for you, friends. God did not bring you this far in your life to abandon you either. If you're a child of God, I want you to mark this down. You do not have a situation into which the God of the universe cannot intervene. You don't, you don't have a situation like that. There is no such situation like that. 
Now, the enemy will try to convince you that you do have a situation like that. He'll try to think that you're, he'll try to make you think that you're, you're backed up against the, the Red Sea, and he'll come after you with all of his chariots and armies and try to trap you. The enemy will lie to you like that. He will, he will try to think that you're, make you think you're trapped. Hey, you know, your job, never going to get better. You're trapped. Your prodigal son, your prodigal daughter, they're not coming home. You're in a trap. Your marriage for 20 years that's been miserable, there's no hope for you guys. You're trapped. Whatever your impossible situation, friends, the enemy is a liar. There is no situation in your life that is outside of God's ability to intervene on your behalf. And Pharaoh's mighty army is still not an obstacle for our almighty God. Now, when you face this kind of impossible situation, there are two choices. You can panic or you can pray. Now, one of those choices is going to lead you wrong. And one of those choices is going to lead you right. One of those choices is going to lead you to all kinds of bad decisions. And one of those choices is going to lead you to the very power of God. James 5 says, The prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Hebrews chapter 4 says, You can approach the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. Philippians chapter 4 says it well, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Just notice the word everything there. Sometimes in life we think, well, this, issue, this issue here, it's not really spiritual, it's vocational. This issue, it's not really spiritual, it's, it's, it's uh, medical. This issue, it's not spiritual, it's legal. Friends, everything you face is in God's world under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. And the scripture tells us to bring everything, everything, everything to God in prayer. When you face your own crisis, when you're caught between the devil and the deep red sea, what will you do? Will you panic? Or will you take that moment to get down on your knees and cry out to the Lord in prayer? See, this is the choice that the Israelites have made. They decide to bring this to the Lord. Drop down with me to verse 13. It says, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Never again. They're not going to be always looking over their shoulder like, are the Egyptians coming? You're never going to see them again. Then he goes on to say in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to work as hard as you possibly can. No, no. You need only to be still. If you have a Bible, underline this verse in your Bible, 13 and 14. Somebody needs this today. If you find yourself in an impossible situation, I want you to know, notice these three things right here. Number one, do not be afraid. Fear not. It's called a negative imperative. This, according to Umberto Casuto, is the strongest possible form of expressing a negation in the entire Hebrew language. Now, there are times in life where you feel fear and you experience anxiety, and it's normal, you're human, I get that. But the Bible teaches that living in a constant fear is not an option for the believer. We might feel some anxiety, but we should not hang out there and stay for very long. Psalm 37.1 says it well, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, they shall wither as the green herb. Isaiah 41, do not fear, I am with you, do not be dismayed, for I am your God, I will strengthen you and help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
All your problems are temporary, but all of God's promises are eternal. If God is for us, who can be against us, the Apostle Paul says. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God has already conquered on our behalf sin, death, and the devil. All of the rest of your problems are like gnats compared to those problems. And that's how you deal with the rest of your problems. You recognize that, hey, if God did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Do not be afraid. The Lord knows how to work these things out in his own timing. Number two, stand firm. Stand firm. Here they are being commanded to stand their ground as in a military position. They are holding their position. Stand firm. Hold your ground. Remember what Ephesians chapter 6 says, right? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... When you're caught between the devil and the deep red sea, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, friends, stand firm. Stand firm. Number three, be still. Now, beloved, I know this is not what we want to hear. We want to do something about the danger on our own. We are Americans. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? Bob the Builder says, can we fix it? And we say, what? Yes, we can. (laughs) Moses says, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to be still. Why? Because God's going to be your defender here. Stop working. I want you to allow God to be your champion, right? Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Now, I know this is easier said than done, right? The the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, when he was preaching on this text, said it this way, quote, I dare say that you will think it's a very easy thing to stand still, but it is one of the postures which a Christian soldier learns not without years of teaching. I find that marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. It is perhaps the first thing we learn in the drill of human armies, but it is the one of the most difficult to learn under the captain of our salvation. The Apostle Paul seems to hint at this difficulty when he says, Stand firm, having done all, still stand. To stand at ease in the midst of tribulation shows a veteran spirit. It shows a long experience. It shows much grace. Stand firm. So here they are, they're terrified, and they cry out to the Lord, and Moses says, do not be afraid, stand firm, you need only to be still. And then it says in verse 19, then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of the Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. Can you imagine this moment right here? This is so dramatic, so awesome, so glorious. This is the moment in Avengers Endgame where Captain America is all by himself and then um, the other guy, I can't remember, the, the king of Africa, uh, Black, uh, Black Panther, is right here on your left. Remember that? Maybe you guys don't like Avengers. All right, so <laughs> Pastor Bob, that was for you if you're watching. Okay, so this is, God is literally, God has their back. 
right at the moment when everything seems to be lost. And it's then, when they're caught between this unconquerable army and this impassable sea, that God begins to move. Isaiah 58, 8 is appropriate here. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. God has your back. 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. This is one of those times in the Bible where I really wish I was there. I really wish there was some HD video footage of this. Could you just imagine as they begin to see the dry ground and a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left, and they begin to just experience when there was no way, God literally making a way through the sea? I mean, who can compare with the awesome power of Almighty God? This situation was impossible, but yet Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 19, with God, all things are possible. The Bible teaches us that God is all-powerful, that the God we worship and know is almighty. I am omnipotent in power. There can be no opposition and no resistance that could ever hinder his eternal purpose. Psalm 42.8 says, the Lord is strong and mighty. Jeremiah 32.7, ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for thee. God spoke and everything comes into being and it comes into being out of nothing by the sheer power of his word and his sovereign hand. Isaiah the prophet, when he's speaking to the Israelites in a later time in their history, calls upon this attribute of God so well by simply asking them a question. Do you not know? Have you not heard? He sits enthroned above the circles of the earth and all of its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in it. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And then a whirlwind comes and sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? The one who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, O Jacob? I like to put my own name here. Why do you complain, Dave, saying, my way is hidden from the Lord and my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, friends, and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint, even if it's on dry ground. Amen? 
Amen. Friends, our God can make a way where there seems to be no way. And that's what we need to remember and learn. When we face impossible situations in our lives, when we are caught between the devil and the deep red sea, we need to trust God to deliver us in his own unique way. This is a customized solution to their problem. I mean, who would have thought of this solution right through the water? And the same thing is true for us, friends. Whatever you're facing, the Lord has a custom-designed way to get you through it. Now, I may not like his custom-designed way. Sometimes when I'm driving in the car, I put my GPS on, and it wants me to take me a certain way. I don't want to go that way. Like, I have a certain way I go. That's not my way. I don't usually go that way. I don't know that way. That's not the way I went yesterday. I want to go my own way. But sometimes we need to be open to the fact that God has a customized solution that's unique to our situation, and we need to be willing to go a new way. God can make a way where there seems to be no way. Look at what Isaiah 43 says. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. And now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? See, notice those words. I'm doing a new thing. He's looking back to the Red Sea experience saying, look at the power of God, but in your life, I want to do something new. It's going to look unique and customized to your exact needs and situation because that's who God is. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. We need to trust him to deliver us in his own unique way. Verse 30 goes on to say this, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Notice the power of Almighty God, his mighty hand. Notice they crossed over by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. This was a faith builder for God's people. And one of the reasons I think the Lord allows me and you to experience some of the impossible situations in our lives is it's a gymnasium to develop the spiritual muscles of our faith. That's what James chapter 1 says. Rejoice when you face trials. It, it works perseverance in your heart, and you're, you're growing. The Lord is maturing you spiritually when you face these kind of trials in your life. And we need to see our problems that way as faith builders. For them, guys, this was their moment. This is when their identity took shape. On the west side of the Red Sea, they were in bondage. On the east side of the Red Sea, they were liberated. On the west side of the Red Sea, they were slaves. On the east side of the Red Sea, they were sons. They were daughters. They were children of the Most High God. Notice, this is a final end to their enemies. Pharaoh's not coming back anymore. It's over. It's done. They're finally free. They crossed over. Now, this is an awesome display of God's deliverance for his people in this story and an awesome display of his saving power. But I would be remiss if I did not mention right here that this is also a picture of a greater display of God's saving power that would come in the future, an ultimate deliverance, so to speak, the salvation of his people from their greatest enemy, sin. 
Greater than God's work physically at the Red Sea will be his second exodus, his spiritual work of salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Greater than God making a way through these waters was God making a way of salvation through the work of his son. See, this is why parting the Red Sea becomes a picture of us ultimately in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All throughout the Old Testament, God promised his people that another exodus was coming. And not until Jesus came did we really understand what that meant. But don't you see that God set a trap for his enemy? Don't you see that right here, as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that God set a trap for Satan at the cross? And the devil thought that God was so vulnerable, and he went after him. But by doing this, the devil only met his demise. See, Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, at the cross, Jesus was disarming all of the rulers and authorities. See, don't you see, just like them, we were facing certain death? Don't you know water in the Bible is symbolic of God's judgment? Remember the flood story of Genesis? The gospel is simply the good news that we're saved from the waters of judgment. The gospel is the good news that we cross over from death to life. The gospel is the good news that we were slaves on the west side, but we are children of God on the east side. The gospel is the good news that the Red Sea has been parted through the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, on Good Friday, we were slaves. But on Easter Sunday, we were set free. We passed from death to life. Friends, If you have not yet come to Christ, can I say with all due respect, you are standing on the wrong side of the Red Sea. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and we received that gift by faith alone. We place our trust in the greater mediator, the one who is greater than Moses to help us cross over from one side to the other. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we think we have to conjure up all of this faith and and it's the amount of our faith or it's the power of our faith that that gets God to do things, but that's not true at all. Uh, Tim Keller, when he was teaching on this passage, said some of the uh, Israelites, they were crossing over on dry land and they were like, yeah, man, look at God. Eat eat your your heart out, Egyptians. This is awesome. Look at at, at the power of our God. But there was surely some other Israelites that were crossing over on the Red Sea going, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. But yet they all made it to the other side. Why? Because it's not the quality of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. We place our trust in Christ in our great mediator to help us cross over. And so that's the good news of salvation that's pictured here at the Red Sea crossing, the greater deliverance, which brings us to movement three, the song. See, what happened here is God rescued his people, and immediately, I don't think they needed to be prompted here, they began to sing and praise and worship for God's almighty power and his love in their lives. And I think everybody participated, young men and women, old guys who can't sing whatsoever. They were all like belting out the song of Moses here. This is, the, this, this is like universal participation. Friends, so great a salvation of God demands a response of worship from his people. Exodus chapter 15 is one of the oldest songs in the whole world. It's certainly the oldest song in the Bible. It's the oldest hymn of our faith, the oldest hymn ever recorded in biblical history. And I'm not going to read it all to you, but I'm going to read you a few verses. I encourage you to read it on your own this week. It's a beautiful song. But take a look at the first few verses with me, if you will. It says, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord. 
For he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense, and now he has become my salvation. He's my God. I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Friends, the song of Moses in the Bible is a song of final victory. It's a song of final justice. We hear a lot about in our, in our world today the concern for justice. Right here is a song celebrating God's decisive justice. The song of Moses is not the kind of song you sing in the first quarter. The song of Moses happens when the game is over. You sing the song of Moses when the victory is complete. We're going to sing the song of Moses, it says, in the future in Revelation chapter 15. When God finally makes all things new. And so here's the principle, I think, that we learned back then and today. When God delivers us, when God delivers you, do not forget to praise him. I can just say with all humility here, sometimes I pray God answers, and I forgot I prayed. I forgot I prayed about it. And here God's answered something in my life, and I don't pause to even thank him. Friends, we need, to, we need to remember to show gratitude and appreciation to God for his answers to prayer. Don't forget to give God glory and praise. He's worthy. When you find yourself caught between the devil and the deep red sea, don't forget to praise him. Remember these principles from this amazing story. Following God's will can lead you to some hard places. But be more concerned about God's glory than your own relief. You do not have a situation into which God cannot intervene. Remember, you have two choices. You can panic or you can pray. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. Be still. Trust God to deliver you in his own unique way. And when God delivers you, do not forget to praise him. Notice one more clause in the Song of Moses that I want to draw your attention to. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The central question in the book of Exodus is, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Right here's the answer. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Israel had no army, friends. They had no soldiers. They were sitting ducks against the mightiest army in the world. But Israel's army was an army of one. They have one warrior. His name is the Lord. He fights for them, friends. He fights for you too. It's used three different times in this passage. Chapter 14, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Then the Egyptians say it. Chapter 14, verse 25. Let's get out of here. The Lord's fighting for them. The Lord's fighting for them. And here in the song, it comes up again. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. Friends, when you find yourself in life caught between the devil and the deep red sea, I want you to remember four words. God fights for me. God fights for me. Can we say that together? God fights for me. As the worship team comes to lead us in song and worship, which is so appropriate, before I pray, I want to offer you just a tangible gesture today to remember those four words in your life. Just a tangible gesture so that you might remember. It's the sign of the cross. 
And perhaps you're familiar with that sign and you go, that's a Catholic thing. And I realize this is the Baptist church. That did not get lost on me, okay? But that sign goes back way before uh, we even, I mean, it's, it's an old sign in church history, long before, uh, you know, the Reformation and all that stuff. So what you do is you take three fingers symbolizing God who's three in one. And you remember that God came down from heaven to transfer you left side from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, right side. And when you do that gesture this week, I just want you to remember four words. God fights for me. Friends, when you're caught between the devil and the deep red sea, remember God fights for me. Can we stand together? And can we say that one more time? When you're caught between the devil and the deep red sea, I'm going to remember that God fights for me. And Heavenly Father, we make that sign and we think about it with great faith. That's not a meaningless sign that we're doing as some sort of ritual. We are tr putting our trust in you. We're, we're reminding ourselves that we belong to you and that we're your children. And so I pray, God, for my friends here. We thank you that our prayers actually touch your heart, the heart of a loving Father in heaven, and that you can meet any need that we have. And we can be confident that you hear us and that you answer us when we cry out to you. And so help us to remember in life that you fight for us. And we thank you, God, for your mighty salvation. And we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.